Sorry. Uh, it's very late here. Brought to you by iLand, this is the Cloud Bytes podcast, where we've brought together a panel of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related to how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has different needs in the cloud, so we'll debate the topic at hand and at the very least agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bytes in the cloud. And sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is all about the advantages of using a globally distributed cloud. My name is Brian Knutson, cloud technologist for ILAN, and I'll be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. This episode's panel includes a fantastic amount of depth on designing infrastructures around the globe. Let's start by having each of our panelists quickly introduce themselves with their current role and a soundbite of their initial thoughts about what is important about the global nature of cloud infrastructure. Hi, everyone, and thank you for having me again. I'm a lead storage analyst for uh, Gigaum. I'm working with them on uh, primarily on storage, but lately more on data management as well as uh, the interaction between storage and cloud. And it's a very, very odd topic now. It's, you know, there is a mix of cultures when it comes to data and the cloud and, and storage. So it's uh, very challenging for end users. So this is what I do. About the topic of the day, I think that, you know, having a global cloud strategy is now important for uh, a lot of organizations. But the problem today is it's very, very difficult to achieve a global strategy. I mean, uh, even the other day I was uh, researching on a topic around hosted Kubernetes, and it's very, very tough to find the same services on all the regions of the same cloud, for example. So on paper, everything is cool. When you start deploying and managing this kind of services, everything becomes a little bit more complicated and sometimes impossible. So we are still in a transition phase, I think. Well, thanks for having me back again. My name is Jeremiah Dooley. I am one of the Azure advocates over at Microsoft, and I specifically focus on helping customers who are currently focused on enterprise platforms and tools figure out how they can transition into using the global footprint of Azure. To the topic that we're talking about today, I feel like the infrastructure that companies use has to look like the audience that the company is trying to talk to. And increasingly, those audiences are global. There are customers worldwide. There are people we have to support worldwide. There are places that our services have to be available worldwide. And the infrastructure that supports that is also really important to have that distributed as well. So from my perspective, the idea is not to build a strategy around geographic redundancy for the sake of geographic redundancy, but it's to make sure that the services that we're offering, the products that we're selling, the customers that we're talking to, that our infrastructure is as widely distributed as they are for any number of reasons, but mostly just to make sure that the experience that they have with the products and services that they're trying to consume is as good as it can possibly be. Hey, thanks, Brian. And thank you again for having me back. Ron Singler with VMware. I'm a chief technologist in our HCI business unit. My primary role is to meet with customers and partners to determine, one, how they're using our solutions, and two, how we can work with them to make them better. 
understand what new features and solutions they would like VMware to provide and then take that back to product management and engineering and hopefully get those features slotted into a future release. Around global cloud operations, I think it's great to, one, as Jeremiah said, have a diverse set of services depending on where those services may be offered around the globe, but also, and and in some aspects, more importantly, bringing a global knowledge set to an organization around the differing cultures within the company and allowing those cultures to thrive throughout not only your solutions, but also the products that you're bringing to customers, right? I work with engineers in Egypt and India and China and the US, of course, and everybody has a different way of thinking about things. And the more that we can bring those thoughts together, the better our products and services are going to be for our customers. Thank you all for joining me. The world is increasingly a smaller and smaller place, but yet servicing customers on the other side of the world is still limited by the laws of physics and is increasingly constrained by a patchwork of local laws. Many cloud providers have a global network of data centers that can make it easier for businesses to place their data and services closer to these far-flung customers. Jeremiah, you've spent a lot of time traveling around the world, and I assume talking to many global companies. How are cloud providers helping customers with those types of global footprints? I think part of it is just first understanding what are we trying to accomplish, right? Based on the type of application that customers are using or the type of service that customers are trying to provide, sitting down and really talking through, like you said, the physics of the problem. What are the things that we're trying to measure? In the case of a web app, are we trying to measure availability? Are we trying to measure response time? Are we trying to figure out how to best push updates? Uh, which obviously has additional challenges when you've got dozens of implementations around the globe in order to be as close to your customers as possible. How do you maintain those? How do you do maintenance on those? How do you recover from those? What are you monitoring? I think that the first step in anything that we do, and really the first step in any process where we're trying to improve things or make things better is to really define where we are and what we're trying to make better and what are the opportunities and options that we have to be able to do that. I think the second one is customers sometimes look at it as a single problem to solve. And what we really try to help them do is understand that there are things that we can distribute around the world, but there are different problems with different solutions. Distributing content, for instance, the idea of a CDN has been something that's been around for a while, that's available from lots of third parties. Almost every public cloud provider has one. And if we have static content that needs to be distributed around the world so that as a app loads or as a web page loads, we're pulling that content from as close to the customer as possible, everybody can do that pretty easily. There's not a whole lot of mystery in that process. The other side of it is the data. However, how do we distribute data that is being constantly read, that is being constantly updated and refreshed, and how do we get that out to customers? So I think that when we look at this, it's a matter of defining what the problem is, defining what it is that we're trying to improve, and then really helping customers break down which parts of this are going to be things that we can work on, and what are the costs, both operationally and from a financial standpoint, to making that better. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with, with Jeremiah there. I, th- I think that another thing that 
cloud companies that have a global presence do is they make it easy for customers to go global, right? I was a customer way back in the day and architected a second data center for DR. And that was only you know a few hundred miles away in a different state. That was a difficult job. You know, thinking about doing that in a completely different country and trying to do business in that country kind of blows my mind, right? So not only the physical infrastructure piece or, or the IT piece, but writing contracts, right? Doing business in those other countries. Customers now have the ability to lean on vendors like VMware, like Microsoft, name your cloud vendor like iLand to help them negotiate those contracts to provide the services that they need locally based on the uh, local regulatory environment. Remember when all we really needed to do was build a second data center 50 miles away? Exactly. <laughs> Back in the good old days? I think to your point, guys, you know, th there are two levels of problematics. So one is, yeah, data sovereignty, these kind of things. And on the other side, having less players on the table. I mean, when you talk about uh, cloud, for most of enterprises, especially here in Europe, I mean, I have a, sometimes a distorted view of the cloud because everything in Europe is a little bit different than in the US. And at the end of the day, we have 27, 28 different countries, different legislations, everything. And sometimes it's hard because you don't have the cloud provider presence locally. And it creates a lot of problems. I know you can encrypt everything. You can do a lot of things, but actually it's a bureaucracy. It's a legislation. It's, there are a lot of uh, rules that you can't avoid to deal with. And on the other side, there is the technical aspect of it. For most enterprises, it has been a journey and they, they started with a single cloud. They tested something, then they went into production and they liked it. And then the challenges. The, the application grew and they needed uh, to export the application to other countries. And even working with the same cloud is not always easy to move data around to have the same services sometimes. So there are a lot of complications. And I think that the major cloud providers are doing a great job and sometimes also abstraction layers. Even if you think about VMware as an abstraction layer to the cloud, okay, you have the same service in different cloud, but actually they are not available on uh, all the uh, regions of uh, every cloud. So there are a lot of aspects to take in account. So from one point of view, we have this regulatory thing that is going on everywhere. And the other side is uh, the difficulty to have the same identical services everywhere and count on a layer that allows you to move that around because at the end, it's data that has the gravity and uh, all the issues that's coming with it. I think it's also interesting that we've taken a problem that the infrastructure teams had gotten pretty good at, at the scale that they operate. And we've made it a problem that now encompasses not just the infrastructure operation teams, but the application development and the DevOps or SRE teams that are kind of overseeing the operational day-to-day -day of both sides. I mean, if we think about it, there was a time when replicating data and the workloads that were using that data between two data centers was impossibly hard. And then we got better storage arrays and VMware got a lot better at handling the workloads and moving the workloads transparently. And now that whole process that was once black magic 
is now fairly easy to set up with almost any combination of storage vendor and VMware or storage vendor and Red Hat that you have out there. Now we have application teams who need to build apps that are as equally good at understanding distributed models, that understand failure modes, that understand how do we degrade before we fall over. And we have to not only make sure that they are good at that, because no matter how well any of us do with the infrastructure, if the application doesn't work the way it's supposed to, in order to manage that environment, none of it is going to work for the customer, which is where we're measuring that availability and uptime anyway. But then we have to get the operations teams leveled up enough that they not just understand the things on the infrastructure side that we need to monitor that will give us the heads up to say that something's wrong, but they also now need to be able to monitor the things from the application side so that regardless of where a problem pops up, we have the right telemetry to be able to do it. And when you look at it like that, even if we take out the things like what products are you using and what cloud platform are you on, we have yet another layer of overlap between two fundamentally different organizations within the company and this place where we have to get really good at seeing both sides of that in order to do the best thing that we can for customers. And that's new skills, that's new tools, that's new ways to communicate, that's new technologies that we have to become fluent in and look at as infrastructure even if they're software-based. And I think that that part of the challenge, how do we get the humans as capable and leveled up as the cloud providers have made the infrastructure is really one of the biggest challenges that we try to help customers overcome. And no matter how simple we make something, we being engineers, there's always another engineer out there that wants to try and make it better or own it themselves. So they will recreate the wheel. Just another layer of abstraction, right? Yeah, and then it gets even more complicated if we wanted to do it between two cloud providers, yeah. right? I mean, the idea that VMware is a great normalizing agent across providers because it gives us one abstraction layer that we can provide to. We have lots of customers who come and say, I will provide the abstraction layer. You just give me the APIs to use underneath it, and then I will deploy this via containers or via whatever to whatever cloud service it is that I want to, be it global or local. And even if you're not trying to reinvent the wheel, there are just wheels there that don't exist, that every time you go into that process, you're having to build something that is specific to you, which can end up being frustrating, I think, on both sides of that equation. Yeah, but aren't we reaching a point where technologies like Kubernetes are stable enough now that you may think to port your old application. I mean, if we are talking about uh, an old application and you want just to do uh, uh, some lift and shift kind of migration to the cloud, it's uh, complicated and you need this abstraction layer to have everything identical on every cloud or any region. But actually with Kubernetes, everything is simplified from this point of view. I mean, all the goal of containers was uh, porting uh, application in uh, in the easiest way possible. And uh, maybe we are, I'm not telling we are there, but actually the next step, we are seeing what is going to happen in the next uh, few years, right? Well, let's even grant the premise of your statement. Let's grant that 
Kubernetes is good enough for us to be able to deploy the app pieces that we want to anywhere. The reality is, what is that? Maybe half of the total amount that you would have to deploy into an environment to get that app working. Because unless you're building and managing your own identity system and deploying that directly into Kubernetes and your own database systems and your own firewall systems and your own edge gateways, and unless you are packaging all of that up, you're going to be dependent on whatever environment, whether that's a local VMware environment or a global cloud environment for the rest of those pieces. So even if we grant that Kubernetes is the thing that will allow us to move those pieces around from platform to platform, we hardly ever see a customer who can contain 100% of their app inside a managed Kubernetes environment. There are always pieces that are going to be external to that. And now we're right back to the beginning. We've got one thing that makes life a little bit easier when it comes to moving some of the application pieces around But the rest of that ecosystem that sits around it is still going to be up to the individual company or the individual cloud provider to put in place so that all the pieces can work together. Right. But we are still at a point where we have to trade some uh, agility or avoid lock-ins for uh, simplicity of the stack. Okay. So it's uh, always this uh, Hamlet questions that comes around and around. I think that we are not still there, especially thinking about, you know, how basic things how kubernetes they manage storage but uh, maybe we are heading there I, i'm seeing more and more solutions that are working for creating a simpler environment based on kubernetes and again i agree with you i mean if you can find a partner that is available in all your countries that gives you the same identical services and you're okay with some lock-in because at the end of the day you don't want to repeat what you had in your infrastructure so build everything from scratch every time but you want to take this cloud services that are available so you don't have to do anything you pay as you grow all the benefits of the cloud i'm okay with it but again is it available so the question here is very simple if you have operations in some uh, european country where i don't know microsoft amazon or google are not present what are you going to do and you need to be there for several reasons I mean, even regulatory reasons well on that point you know we've talked a lot about the needs of geodiversity for recovery in disaster scenarios and for things like data locality around legal and, and compliance reasons but ron when you talk to customers are they looking for any other reasons why they may want to have that level of geodiversity and just normal day-to-day operations yeah absolutely and i, I think we've touched a bit on it already but Some of the the primary things that I've seen customers require local access or at least near local access is around app latency being the primary requirement, right? So they need a performant app based on some SLAs or SLOs that they have internally and accessing that application across the globe isn't going to cut it for them. So they need a data center or a cloud provider closer to them. So they're either running infrastructure as a service in a cloud vendor like iLand or just running you know, their app uh, on top of Azure or Amazon uh, for that type of thing. But also, and we're seeing it right now, end user computing in the cloud is a hot topic of the day with the coronavirus and COVID-19 impacting us all globally, right? We've seen that spin up extremely quickly over the past few weeks. 
especially within VMware, you know, I can speak to that. We've seen it spin up really quickly and customers need access to their desktops in an extremely performant fashion. So that's definitely something that they're not going to be able to connect across the globe to. But another reason is their data that they're storing within the cloud, whether that's on a desktop or through their applications. If we look at the EU and GDPR, countries like Germany, they have a requirement that if the data is created in Germany, it needs to remain in Germany. So for VMware, if we create data in Germany, it remains there. And if we need that data somewhere else, we have to go through a bunch of hoops to access the information that that data provides. But it's localization has to remain there. So there's a ton of reasons to have data centers and cloud vendors in your local area. I think performance is probably the primary reason globally. But then as we start to look at more regionally, uh, there's a bunch of regulatory uh, reasons to have that as well. It's fascinating to watch the growth of the data centers. If you just look at the global cloud providers, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, you start to see, hey, look, there's two data centers in Germany and there's two data centers in Switzerland and there's two data centers inside the EU and there's two data centers inside the UK. And I think that what Ron was just talking about around understanding not just the performance and the application requirements, but the, you know, the governmental and regulatory requirements as well is driving not just how we build the apps and how we scale the apps, but very much how the infrastructure underneath it gets built as well. Well, and that's an interesting point there because one thing Island has is we have three data centers that we're using in the EU. Well, guess what? Two of those happen to be in the UK. And with Brexit, it's at the time of this recording officially going to happen now. We're looking at we need another one somewhere in the EU. Well, and it gets complicated because if you look at it from a global cloud provider, we'll just talk Microsoft in this case, all of those data centers have a peer. So there's a region pair so that we can do maintenance on a data center and we can give customers guidelines for if you're going to build a redundant set of cloud services, do it in these two data centers and we'll put the high speed links between them. And if we do maintenance on one, we won't be doing maintenance on the other. So it gets complicated and expensive, not just in kind of the changing geopolitical landscape of Europe, but also just we then have to match that up with our maintenance procedures and with how do we increase capacity in different places. Having lots of capacity in one of the two region pairs doesn't do anybody a whole lot of good if they're actually leveraging them together the way they should. So it makes it complicated for everybody up and down that ecosystem food chain. Well, there is also this trend now about building a data center closer to the customers and a smaller data center, edge data center. I'm pretty sure you know that Equinix bought a packet for its technology, the ability to build this very small container size, probably real containers. I mean, uh, shipping containers, not Docker containers, but container sized data centers to bring some compute, some storage, some networking close to their uh, big customers. So they have some of the benefits of the cloud, same services, closer, still controlled from the cloud provider. And, uh, but at the same time, in the country where you want to operate uh, and everything, but still the cloud. So it's an interesting, uh, I mean, uh, from this point of view, that uh, expansion of the cloud in the edge locations. 
So Enrico, you touched on the challenges of distribution of data due to recovery needs, sovereignty, supportability, latency, all these reasons why customers look at different places. Can you go more in depth on how customers should investigate cloud providers, particularly with regards to data locality and the sovereignty of data? Yeah, so in my experience, which is a European experience, if we are talking about uh, an organization that is uh, reporting to local authorities only. So if it's an Italian company and most of the operations are local to Italy, it's very, very difficult that this company will check for service providers that have operation in the UK, especially now in the UK, but in the US or even uh, in Ireland, even if it's uh, UK. Okay, They look for providers that can provide everything in the country. Okay, you know We have a lot of issues with earthquakes, with... Uh, with floods, everything. Uh, the, the problem is more when you look at finding multiple data center, you try to look at this kind of thing. So where they are positioned, but still in the same country. The, the thing is a little bit different. If you deal with the companies that are, have a, a larger reach, so a real multinational company, so the operation, as we said, is different because you want application close to the customer, you want the application close to your users, or even manage uh, data that are local to that country, then everything is a little bit more easier to manage. And there are a lot of tools now that helps you to overcome some of the regulation, including encryption, including uh, other security mechanisms. So I think that most of this uh, conversation makes sense when you first check the size of the company and where the company operates. So depending on the on its size and you know the where the operations are, then you can understand which kind of service provider they look for and the kind of services also they are looking for. I think it goes back to again understanding what it is that you're trying to improve first. And I feel like this is one of those ones where it's global when dealing with vendors of any kind. But if you go to a vendor and say, tell me what my problem is, it's going to end up being a pretty expensive proposition. <laughs> you know, figuring out what you want to make better, figuring out where it is that you want things to improve, figuring out what you want to improve or the problem that you want to solve is the easiest first step I know to going into a discussion with any vendor, but particularly a cloud vendor with a blueprint that they can help you succeed at. And I feel like that's the easiest way to drive a good outcome is to go in and say, I need X, Y, and Z. And if along the way you find other things, other services that the cloud vendors have or other issues internally that get exposed as you go through the process of digging through and laying things out, you can always add those into the process. But even outside of specific vendor recommendations or specific technology recommendations, starting with the idea of this is where we are, this is where we want to be, and these are the small handful of things that we want to directly and in a significant manner make better will probably help with that process regardless of which of the vendors you're talking to. I mean, because if we wanted to dig into the technical side of things, there are hundreds of services that have tons of dependencies and you can look across both local service providers and cloud service providers. And we could literally spend weeks and I'm sure the sales teams do spend weeks and weeks just going through and helping customers understand what the available options are. Right. I think we mentioned this in the last podcast that we did, but 
we internal to Azure get a two-minute podcast a day just describing what's changed inside Azure in the last 24 hours. So the idea of understanding all of the pieces that you have were, God forbid, trying to comparison shop between multiple cloud providers and figure out what are the services that exist in the same space and how are they different from one another. You know, there's more there than I feel like any, certainly any individual, but even any company can be expected to manage. So if you go in with the clear idea of these are our challenges and these are the outcomes that we want to improve, whether that's availability for customers or whether that's ease of operations or whether that's migrating older technology to newer technology so there are additional features that are available, whatever that happens to be, going in with a blueprint that they can help you succeed at is going to be the easiest way to make the best out of that whole process. Yeah, and understanding your team's current skill set, right? I mean, if you're using Azure today and uh, AWS is coming in and courting you to move from Azure over to AWS, your team's skill set is probably not going to just simply transfer over from Azure to AWS, right? Creating a network in Azure is completely different than creating it in AWS. So while, yes, they may be able to come in and sweet talk you, you have to understand your team's skill sets and understand what it's actually going to take for them to operationalize a completely new cloud. Yeah, well said, Ron. I guess to kind of summarize the conversation, which is all sorts of great nuggets of good information, I think it's important that customers keep in mind that all the things that go into having multiple points of presence on the earth, regardless of the distance, is very difficult in a lot of ways, even if it's, you know, physically constructing a data center, whether it be the contracts that are required as you cross different borders. And just the day-to-day management can be tough when they're remote, much less in another country altogether. And a single global cloud provider can eliminate many of those details and allow for more localization to provide a better understanding. And when it comes down to the physics of the problem and breaking down the distinct problems you're trying to solve is going to be key in a global environment. Because if you try and tackle the whole thing all at once, it's going to get unwieldy very fast. Yep. And Brian, to that point, if I could leave one thought for the listeners, it's you don't have to do everything at once. In fact, I'm begging you not to do everything at once. It's part of the reason why VMware has partnered with all of the major cloud providers to say, you have operational challenges that are going to change and be different as you move into the cloud. And you've got infrastructure challenges and you've got application challenges. You've got sunk cost challenges. Don't think that you can put together one Gantt chart, one project plan to fix or change all of those things in a finite amount of time. No cloud provider is going to be able to give that to you. Look at the things that you want to improve. Look at the things that you want to get better at. And then ask, ask VMware, ask the cloud providers, ask iLand, ask, you know, get involved with the analyst community to ask where the places that I can go and what is it that I can do to be able to solve these problems. But don't feel like on one hand that you have to solve everything in order to get a good outcome. And also don't feel like that if you go into a cloud provider for anything, you have to go into that cloud provider for everything. We can make that process a lot more structured and paced along the way than maybe we have always had the ability to in the past. 
Yeah, in a lot of ways, I think migration to the cloud is a lot like what we went through when we first virtualized our data centers. It was impossible to try and bot it all off at once. And I made that mistake when I first virtualized. And so became a very big fan of phases of migration in order to get everything moved over so that you can adjust along the way so that and not just adjust the plan, but also adjust the operations on the day two operation of that migration. And I think a big part of what we get in moving to the cloud is the point that, you know, infrastructure teams are used to dealing with complexities of the geodiversity. But now application and development teams are dealing more and more with the infrastructure piece of the puzzle themselves directly, including things that have to do with cross data center items. And increasingly, we need to simplify those platforms so that they are less complex, there's less frustration, they're easier to approach. And using tools like Kubernetes and VMware are helping, but are by no means a guaranteed way to do it because there's always bits and pieces specific to each individual cloud that need to be worked out. And you know, as you're looking at your global presence and where you want to locate services, keep an eye on application latency. Ron gave a great example around desktop as a service is a really latency sensitive application that needs to be have that data locality. And you got to pay attention to politics and the regulations that go along with those politics. And, you know, no, even within the EU, having operations fully contained in a single country is increasingly a requirement. And even in the United States, you oftentimes see different states having different regulations. And so you got to be aware of any border, not just country borders. And finally, when evaluating cloud platforms, consider the size of the operation, where they have their operations, what services they can provide. You know, what level of encryption can be applied because that may make movement of data between different regulations a little bit easier. And ultimately, you need to know your requirements. Even before you approach the cloud providers, know exactly what you need and then go to the cloud providers to see how they can help enable that. And if they have additional things that you can use, you can add those in as you go along. And it's key to understand what your requirements are and what your team is capable of before you even start considering any solution. With that great conversation, I'd like to thank Jeremiah, Ron, and Enrico for such great knowledge. Also, thanks to Island for making this podcast possible. Please check out the episode notes, panelist contact information, further information about this topic, and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can also find our episodes on your favorite podcast app. If you found this content useful, we'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and colleagues and rating us on your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. And I don't have anything to add to anything those guys said. <laughs> <laughs>